Put them over your heart and say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. I'm sure many of the men in here were in something called Boy Scouts when you were growing up. I know I was. The girls, many of you were probably in Girl Scouts. Do you remember that? Do you remember being in Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts? Do you remember all that paraphernalia that they had? I mean, special shirt and colors and the tie. I remember that yellow and blue tie. And, of course, it had to be tied just so, you know. And then all the various badges and so forth that you could get. Remember all those merit badges for things that you would do? You know, if you did this, you would get this. Remember that? In in fact, I I looked it up on uh, the scouting website and they're very clear. You have to do exactly that. Let's show this website, Jeff, and scroll on down there. You can scroll right from the screen, right from the little window. That's displaying the website. Just scroll, not with your. There you go. Grab the. Thank you. All right. Now, these are just as you scroll, scroll slowly. These are just some of the badges that you can earn. Park right there for a minute. Uh, Bugling, camping, canoeing, chemistry, back basketry, backpacking, automotive maintenance, athletics, climbing, coin collection. You can get a merit badge for doing coin collection well. Keep going. Oh, what's it? Where's the dog one? Dog care. Electricity draft. I'll tell you, they didn't have all those when when I was in scouting. Keep going. Yeah. Environmental sciences, of course. Energy, farm mechanics. Uh huh. Keep going. First aid, fish and wildlife, gardening. There you go. Gardening. Home repairs, journalism, kayaking. That's what I needed a merit merit badge in. Life-saving. Now, I wonder how you practice life-saving. I mean, do you like put somebody's life in jeopardy and then... Some of you would like to put somebody's life in jeopardy and and then maybe not save them. (laughs) All right, oceanography, painting, personal fitness, pets, pottery, pulp and paper. I can get a merit badge in the Boy Scouts today for pulp and paper. Safety, scouting heritage, shotgun shooting, shotgun shooting, skating, sports, swimming, theater, theater. Yes, welding, weather, whitewater rafting. There it all is. How amazing. And did you know that we treat Christianity in the same way? God, if I just do this, will you give me a badge for it? Lord, if I read my Bible an hour today, will I get a special emblem to put on my Christian shirt? 
Lord, if I attend church, all right, God, I'll go, I'll I'll make a big commitment. This month I'm going to go twice. Will you give me a badge? Isn't it fascinating how that we treat our relationship with God like one of earning merit badges? We default to legalism, forgetting that it is by grace through faith that we're saved. Do you remember the scouting handbook? All the rules and regulations? Boy, you had to memorize a lot of that. But in Christianity, there's no rule book. Oh, I know we treat the Bible like a rule book, but it's not. And even if I tried to keep all the rules, I can't. Paul said as much. He said the thing that I would, I don't do. The things I shouldn't, I'm always messing up and doing those. I mean, guys, consider this one. Here's where Jesus set the standard. If you even look across the street at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Now there's one for you. What man is able to keep that one? And that's the weight that falls upon the shoulders of the legalist. Always trying to please and appease our Father God and earn his favor and get a badge. I'm going to begin reading in Romans chapter 5. Perhaps you'll want to join me. And I'll be reading from the Amplified New Testament. Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 15. But God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. For if many died through the one man's falling away, his offense or his lapse, much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Did you notice what that said there in that first sentence? But God's free gift is not at all to be compared. It's not at all to be compared to the trespass. Look at verse 16. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect that one man's sin had. For the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification. You know, I think that we sometimes have this image of God and and Jesus like they're in a boxing ring with the devil. And they're moving about and the, the devil throws one and catches God on the chin and God reels back for a moment. But then God comes back and he lands one dead sinner on the devil's face and the devil goes flying to the mat. But then the devil gets up and does an undercut and catches God right in the jaw and throws God back for a while. 
Do you know that many Christians feel like that's the way it works? It's not at all to be compared. The devil doesn't even have a chance. He has no place in my life. The Bible says Jesus disarmed him. He can't throw a punch. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest, that he might destroy the works of our enemy, Satan. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the overflowing grace, that is his unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, reign as kings in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So where death and one man's trespass brought death through Christ, we reign now in this life. Jesus said it this way. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He's not talking about when we get to heaven. Of course, you're going to have abundant life when you get to heaven. He's talking about right now here on this earth. He wants every one of us to have a great life, a fun life, a life filled with good things that show off his blessing and his favor. Now, Paul preached this message so much that he was criticized for being easy on sin, being liberal. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace might multiply and overflow? Verse 2, certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? The fact that he's addressing that means that he was roundly criticized often for what the religious people of his day perceived as a liberal message, be going easy on sin. And Paul said, you think that my message about grace, the grace and favor of God is easy believism. You think that it gives people a license to sin. But I say to you, certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? So even though Paul was accused of being too liberal on sin, he stuck to his message because he knew that grace is like an onion. You just have to keep peeling back all the layers. I mean, you get to one layer and you're just getting that down and you're realizing, wow, God's not mad at me. And then you peel back another layer and you see that and you see, wow, God's not having a bad day. And you just get used to that layer and then you peel back another layer and you see, wow, Jesus came that I might have an abundant life. Oh, man, this is getting good. And you peel back another layer and you read, wow. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases. What a life. Yeah. And I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's all by favor. It's not based on merit. It's not based on me earning it or being good enough. There's nothing I can do to get it. Nothing I can add to it. Nothing I can take away from it. That's the message of grace. 
that Paul preached. And yet, he was always fighting this tendency for believers to fall back into legalism. That's why he wrote Galatians, the letter to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Why is it? Why is it that there's this tendency for believers to fall back into legalism when we have such a precious message of grace? Well, first of all, I think it it just might be because everything in our world is based on legalism. Think about it. The marketplace and the economy. How about the cost of living? So the cost of bread goes up. So you think it ought to be more expensive to get something from God. You go to your boss and you outline all the things you've done over the last year and you ask for a pay raise. So we think in prayer, we have to go before the Lord and outline all the good things we've done and ask for a pay raise. (laughs) And God says, nothing you've ever received was based on the job you did or your performance. Why are you starting now to approach me with something like this? That's what Paul was saying. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You started in faith. You started this life knowing that it was the goodness of God's favor that gives you everything that you have. And now you're going back to him and you're basing your life on legalism. How about this one? The early bird gets the worm. Did you know that that's actually a legalistic, ungraced statement? The early bird gets the worm. So if you pray enough, if you read your Bible enough, if you're first to church, you know, if you're God will honor that and somehow you're going to get the worm. It's all a reward system. And Christians live so much of their life based on a reward system. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about a transplant. It was prophesied a heart transplant that would take place that would free us from a relationship with God based on legalism into a new day and a new hour of a walk with God based on his favor and his love. Listen to this. Ezekiel chapter 36. Reading from, I'll start in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out of you your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, I'm going to put something on the inside of you that actually makes it possible for you to obey the command. You're not even going to have to obey the command in your own effort and strength and power. I'm going to put my spirit in you. He will do that that you cannot do. How many of you know, though, that transplants take time? (laughs) Anybody ever had a major surgery? In here, 
All right. Were you back to work on Monday? (laughs) Sister, somehow I believe it about you. I imagine they could transplant your heart and you'd be back on Monday, you know? He is good. The reality, of, uh, the reality of this thing is that if if God were to take a stethoscope and put it on your heart, he'd hear the heart of Jesus beating. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. Not yours. You have a new heart. You have a new spirit on the inside of you that loves to follow after God, that loves to obey the scripture. This is the gospel. That God takes the initiative to come to you. The psalmist said it this way. He chases me. All the days of my life. Mercy and grace will chase me. I mean, you have to want to get away. To not be found in his love and his favor and his grace. And it's all about what Paul preached, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, just in his epistles, his letters to the churches, mentions this principle of God in us, Christ in us, 216 times. 216 times he deals with the subject of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Over a hundred times he speaks about love. Over 87 times he speaks about grace. Does that tell you anything about the message of the New Testament? And where maybe we've been going wrong in preaching a legalistic relationship with the Father? And by the way, you might just take note. If if God was so worried about how we would live for him and how it would reflect on his good reputation, why did he come to live inside us? Knowing how messy that was going to be. Knowing how we would mess up. Why would he do that? Why would he risk coming to live inside me? Knowing how I'd blow it. Knowing how I might bring shame to his name. I think it really gets down to this. Can we trust the grace of God to work in us God's good will? Can I trust the grace of God to work in you what God wants done? Instead of feeling like I have to manipulate that or control that or somehow hold you to a a, a list of do's and don'ts. You know what I mean. It's it's it's. It's as though we talk about faith and talk about our relationship with God as a new law. We simply exchanged one law code, the Old Testament, for now a new law code called the New Testament and faith. 
We ask things like, do I have enough faith? Was my confession sincere? Oh, I got angry with that person. Or I I didn't read my Bible today. and, And so now I'm going to have to wrestle with God at the altar before I can receive anything good. Really? Is that how we translate his favor? Max Lucado, famous pastor, author, speaker, I believe he even paints. You certainly know the name. Said, and I quote, but grace continually lifts the burden of responsibility off my shoulders and places it on God's. I'm not even responsible for measuring up or earning all the merit badges that's on this scouting uniform, you know. How dare we put this on and wear it as believers in the spiritual sense, you understand, and walk around with our, look what I did for the Lord. (laughs) Look who I am. Look how pleasing I am to God because of my worthiness and the things that I've done. Keep in mind that just before Jesus went to the cross, in fact, the day that he was betrayed that night, that day at supper, he looked at all 12 of his disciples and said, you're all going to betray and walk away from me. Peter, you're going to deny that you even knew me three times before 6 a.m. You will deny you even knew me. But all of you are going to walk away. Imagine that. I know you're going to blow it. I know you're going to screw up and make a mess of things. And yet I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. No matter how much you've messed up, God is waiting for you in your Galilee. And five days later, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. 50? It was 50 days later, like Nina says. Peter was preaching his first sermon. I mean, the guy who had just denied Christ three times said, I don't even know him and cursed. The Bible says he cursed. Ooh. Ooh, boy. That'll send God to the distant country. It'll be a couple years before he comes back to you. Fifty days later, he's preaching a sermon and 3,000 people get saved off one sermon. How many of you know that wasn't Peter? That wasn't Peter's doing. It wasn't how great Peter was. It wasn't how wonderful or how many badges he had on his Christian garb. But the religious people all fear this grace message is going to give people a license to sin. Yes, 
It probably will for a time. Because some people that get saved will say, you know what? God's going to forgive me. I can go out and get drunk again. And I know there's those that will get saved and yet say, you know, I can still sleep around because I know God will forgive me. But because of their new heart, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's made that exchange in them, they won't be comfortable. They won't enjoy it. Their heart will begin to speak to them. The Holy Spirit in them, grace will create a discomfort, a distaste for the world. And if you'll give grace time, grace will create the work. Grace will create the work. God's grace trusted me. God's grace loved me. God's grace invested in me. And so I don't want to live this way anymore. And God's grace actually motivates me to do well. Again, Max Lucado said, and I quote, grace appropriately received Grace appropriately received creates a desire for holiness, not godlessness, end quote. But I won't be blessed if I'm not walking in obedience. Nina and I were at lunch the other day just having this conversation about the dynamic and the dichotomy between law and grace, favor and obedience. And sometimes it does get sticky. It gets messy when you try to rectify what we read in the Bible about these subjects. Did you know that blessing is a result of favor, not obedience? Bill Johnson said it this way. He's the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And I quote, to most... Jesus just brought a new set of rules. Grace is different, though, from law. Favor comes before obedience. Under grace, the commandments of the Lord come fully equipped with the ability to perform them. And to those who hear from the heart, grace enables what it commands. End quote. And yet, because of the nature of fellowship with God, If I continue in sin, if I ignore the Holy Spirit, if I refuse the commandment of the word of God, that sweet fellowship with him will be broken. Not because he leaves, but because I feel the distance. It's my conscience that's telling me. You can't keep doing that. The Bible says it this way. He who regards iniquity in his heart, the Lord will not hear him. It's not that the Lord shuts his ears. It's that my conscience shuts off the sense and awareness of his blessing. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. 
For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all of the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on that cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. And so we're now free of it. You can't live in disobedience, violate your conscience, and feel close to God. And if you're in that place this morning, if you're violating your conscience, if you're willfully going against the word of God, I call you home. I call you back to God's favor and God's grace. Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know what he has planned for you? I call you home to the message of grace. You can't please him by a thing you do. But the things you do sure will make a difference in your sense and awareness of your sweet fellowship with his spirit. So how can we tell if the house is full of grace? First of all, the joy level. We often have people tell us who are guests, wow, all your people, they were so loving. They just seemed happy. Did you know that's one of the number one marks that the house is full of grace? There ought to be happiness. Secondly, there ought to be an energy level. It's simply contagious when there's happiness and there's freedom. And that's the third thing. The scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And so we have liberty. I mean, what church goes around and throws paper all over the floor? Hmm. I lay aside blank in order to more fully follow Jesus Christ and his purpose for my life. It's a commitment that we make that in the midst of our messiness, God just one at a time will say, okay, I want to, I want to highlight this. Go, go, go ahead and make a fresh commitment in that area. And then on the back, if I decide to become a member of Genesis and put down roots here, the thing that I think I could contribute the most to making Genesis an irresistible gathering for the unchurched to attend is blank. You, you put it down and then crumble it back up and throw it up here. Because we want to collect it and we want to start praying for that area that you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you in. And then we want to start praying over that area that you've said, you know, I'd like to be involved. That's why these papers are out here. If you haven't picked one up and filled it out yet, I hope that you will before you leave today. 
There's something else that I hope you'll do today, and that's participate with us in communion. We have an open communion here, which means that you don't have to be a member of this church or attend here even regularly. If you love Jesus Christ as your Lord, you've confessed him as Savior, then you're a candidate to receive communion. Oh, by the way, there's one more sign of grace in the house. Generosity. And no, I'm not going to take an offering. (laughs) Just like those preachers always asking for money. No, here's what happened when the grace of the Lord, this message of favor came on Zacchaeus. Do you remember little Zacchaeus? He was a short guy. Ed, he he was a short guy. In fact, I'm not even sure, you know, Sidney, he was a short guy. He might have been maybe about your height, full grown. He wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Jesus called him out of the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. The man was religious. He didn't know anything about grace. He was full of law code. And yet Jesus said, look, I want fellowship with you. I'm crazy about you. Before he even had a changed life, I'm crazy about you. That's why our doors are open to anyone that wants to come in here and experience God's goodness and love. And we're going to do our best in 2014 and for the remainder of this year to be sure that Genesis is a place that's irresistible for the unchurched to come to. And according to the scripture, once Jesus got there to his house, you know what happened? His favor and his love left such an impression with him. Zacchaeus tried to give half of everything he had away. You will never have problems with tithes and offerings once the favor of God gets a hold of you. You'll be looking for opportunities to give because you'll know by his favor you have what you have anyway. And when you give it away, it's only going to mean that more's coming back multiplied over. And so you just live in his favor. You don't live as a bean counter. Well, can I do it this month? Well, I don't have enough this month. You just, you give because there's a liberty and a joy and a happiness because it's the favor of God that takes care of you financially, just like it's the favor of God that forgave your sin. It's all his grace. And this morning, we're going to celebrate that wonderful grace at the table of communion.